0: To his left, and he's on his way. 10, 9, 5, 3. Cut down! Wonderful try. We have a mole, Jim. digs like a demented mole there. He just busts through the defense. Just watch this. beautifully. In go the Irish for us. This is Lenahan bursting in. Back to Bradley Back to Cannon The drop of goal Is over Michael Cannon has done it
1: Good evening and welcome to the Molecast. Good evening Good evening Uh, It seems like just about Four or five months ago uh, Munster were having their latest Bout of soul searching About uh, where they were really going In the long term And here they are Back at the well already Just two games into the season So my question is: Is this a humbling 4 uh, 0 at Brentford, where Graham Roundtree is going to get the lads to run around the pitch by as many points behind the the Dragons, the woebegone Dragons, or do you think they have a further depths to plumb? And what's what's generally what's going wrong? What what is, what is this transition that they're transitioning to?
2: Well, you said to me uh, earlier that sometimes the 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 best thing that you can do is have is get down to the bottom you know and have a terrible loss and because you there is a big reaction to it. It makes you take things more seriously and concentrate more and you can't coast. so I would expect a big reaction from Munster in in their first home game of the season against zebra
0: I think they um, <laughs> have a while before they go up I th- is is my sort reaction um while this might be the bottom. I don't. I don't think it's all going to get better from here. Like I've, I've seen a bit of straw clutching about uh, Joe Schmidt start at Leinster, and you know how maybe this is analogous. But I think Joe's problem was he didn't have access to the players when he started off. That all his 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 players, he, he commented on it, um, maybe not in public, but you know, essentially they, they couldn't train together. Uh, player player welfare and what have you, um, and probably the number of internationals that Leinster have. Um, and I, I struggle to see the parallels other than losing matches at the beginning. So I, I guess there won't be a situation in another match where Munster are kicked off the point, off the park by an old boy. It hasn't got as much commentary about it as I expected it might, but JJ Hanrahan, I'm, I'm talking about clutching at straws. Like I'm, I'm really trying to find how this is in, like how JJ Hanrahan's uh, careers and an analogy for everything that's gone wrong at Munster. um, and I just I can't quite make that narrative fit. Like it's, it's too clunky, but. He was a guy who was given his debut under Rod Penny and was really encouraged. And then between, I guess, the pressure of trying to fill Roger's shoes, between the uncertainty, between probably like a bit of, I don't know, I call it greed, judgment, whatever, on his behalf to go to Northampton and get paid in Sterling. To his comeback, to his again departure, in I don't know, like reflects where Munster's youth development has been. Reflects like this guy should have been like the jewel. Again, like to push it too far. He 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 was a guy who was in the top three of the under twenties at the World Cup in his in his age grade. Uh, Played it out half when Paddy Jackson couldn't. Paddy Jackson had played in the, in the Six Nations in, in that year, in that age grade, um, and then played for Ulster. And Ulster didn't want him to tour to South Africa because they wanted him... He played for them already in the first team. They wanted to be fit the following year. So JJ moved from centre to play out half in that World Cup and then at, at out half was in the finalists for the World Player of the Year under 20. Sir Fontaine won it. And he, he was in the top three. So... Like, th- this guy is, like, high potential and never happened for him. He came back and, you know, he he, he did all right, but he he probably had big matches where he, he didn't kick as well as he did for the rest of the season. And now he's at the Dragons. Again, like, I don't want to push it too far and saying he's playing his best rugby, but he's he's experienced. He's you know, he's got a few scars in his face, he's played in France, he's played at Munster, he's played in different positions, he's mature, and, you think to yourself, God, like, you know, that's probably when a lot of Irish guys play their, their best rugby, you know, and and go back to Chris Henry syndrome, and, and say that, you know, this is when fellas at 28, 29, 30, when they have the maturity, both physically and mentally, and they haven't started falling apart, this is when they can play their best rugby, and, Josh Vanderfleer. And Josh Vanderfleer. And you know, if if you're coaching an Irish team or managing an Irish team, do you have to cut your cloth to suit your means? So I don't think Munster envisaged that it would all end like this. And I, I like I don't think a match in Rodney Parade is the second game of the season is the end of things. But it, it is kind of stark when you look at the squad issues that Munster have when you look at the, the way that they have taken a huge amount of their players from Leinster rather than generating a huge amount of their players that from Munster, that one of the obvious go-to guys as an underage star had a career that never really fired at Munster. Hmm. And he's the one that's slotting points over to them. And I, uh, that kind of uh, speaks to a wider malaise, I guess, which might be a bit strong. No, you were very struck by it, though.
2: It was, yeah, you, know, you were very struck by it. Like for me, I can see that going over, uh, with the team that was selected, which you know had a lot of, um, a lot of very experienced players, and I can see that going over to Rodney Parade is you don't. It's a, a very unattractive fixture. It's not a place that you get any credit for winning. It's not something that's going to make the blood fire at all. Uh, You're just expected to go over there, knock them out, get a four-try bonus point win and come home. You won't get any praise for it. Now, bringing internationals back into uh, the team, the likes of Peter O'Mahony, Keith Earls, especially, and and Kilcoyne as well. But bringing those guys into the team, it's hard for those guys, as motivated as they are by, by being good professionals and by playing for Munster, it's really hard for those guys to get up for a game against the Dragons away. I would say actually impossible. Um, now, Earls got injured early. Peter Manning picked up an injury and played through it. Um, and then, uh, you know, killed it a grand game. But Ty Byrne came on and he just, like I saw I saw Ty knock on two passes, which, you know, you, you'd get sort of, you get the shepherds crook from those in, in um <laughs> if it was the GAA you know the manager would just take you off early I like it, it looked to me like th- there was a real they didn't get up for Dun O'Callan in the, in the uh, coverage afterwards was saying that the the mid level players didn't help the internationals that the internationals are just back into the into the game and into the team and that's true but I felt that you know, I felt that it wasn't just like the mid-level players like playing poorly and the internationals playing well and being let down. I just it was, it was every pretty much everyone played poorly.
0: And the, the, there's a few other things to that. Like Leinster went over at a very comparable time of the season to Rodney Parade, third of October last year, and won seven six in what was a fairly horrible match and. If the dragons were just used to winning a bit more, they would have won that one nine seven. Like mm-hmm. so, it's that that idea of having to get up. Like I think one of, one of the characteristics of, of rugby, and I feel sure we talked about this towards the end of last season, is how much emotion matters in it. Like how much you have to get up for matches is very. It's it's very easy. To, like if if you're if you're not mentally right for it, it's very easy to get turned over. And I think that that's one of the strengths of New Zealand rugby, in particular, but also South African rugby is just how off, like how they they rarely never up for it, and it, it's kind of like how central it is to their psyche. But like you, you rarely play a New Zealand touring team that isn't going absolutely like full gun for it. And I think it's a criticism that's been made of Munster quite a lot in the last decade is that they need a big match. Like they need a sort of a cause or they need something to galvanize them for it. like an emotional trigger to make them play. Even like that Wasps game. Was it Wasps they played last year when all the guys got stuck in South Africa? Yeah, it was kind of a combination of the Wasps, combination yeah. of internet. Yeah. It was Wasps. Yeah. Internationals and, and, and academy guys. And they said how much fun it was. But that like that's almost a tr- like trademark. How could you possibly bet against Munster in in that sort of environment like and with the way the URC has been set up for the last two seasons, it's it's harder because you're playing against better players more often. We talked about this last week but this this is how it manifests itself. So you kind of got the yeah just but like a lot a lot of chickens came home to roost. Um, in in that one, then you were talking about the the sort of the profile of the coaches that yeah. suit monster and like that don't suit monster.
2: It's 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 obvious uh, that it's early in the season, so this is their second game. They had two preseason friendlies, uh, both against English teams, Gloucester and London Irish, both of which they lost. Uh, so they they're on a four. They're on a, a taking into last season as well that they've lost six in a row, but under the new coach they've lost four in a row now round or yeah roundtree has never worked with either leamy or prendergast before S- leamy and prendergast have never worked before together before so you've got a head coaching posse who haven't worked together before you've got a guy who's new to the head coach role and uh, now Every every head coach, practically every head coach, has been an assistant coach before he's been a head coach. Roundtree's background as an assistant coach is as good a uh, a CV as you could hope for. He's got a huge amount of body of work behind him as a forwards coach for a long time for really good teams. But the, both Birch and Raj and James Collin have all spoken in the recent past about, despite being professional players their entire adult lives, despite being professional assistant coaches they either underestimated or estimated and didn't realize the stressing reality of what it is to be a head coach compared to being an assistant coach so at the same time as you've got three uh, new coaches working together for the first time you've also got one guy who is now learning a new job dennis be also learning a new job he's never been a defense coach professional level before his contact coach before And there's also the possibility that with with three people, not that they wouldn't get along, but that the best that they might produce is just the sum of their parts rather than more than the sum of their parts. There might just be things that they sort of don't agree on or just just the way that in an office, sometimes you work particularly well with one person and then with another person, it's just like, this is sort of just work. It's taken us a while to get this figured. We're not really melding together. So those things are all unknowns at the moment. When I say those things, are no, do The personal relationships and how they might uh, come to fruition, whether they're going to really excel or whether they're just going to be an average coaching team, that's an unknown. Um, and my feeling is that in looking back at how Munster have performed, my feeling is that they have tended to perform slightly better or even sometimes quite a lot better with head coaches who've had previous head coach experience, for example, Rob Penny, before he arrived at Monster, had been a head coach of the uh, Canterbury team, the NPC and Air New Zealand Cup for I think six years. And uh, then they went to Anthony Foley, who had never been a, a head coach uh, at professional level before. Then they went to Razi Erasmus, who had been a head coach at Free State in the Curry Vodacom and, and Curry Cup, and then the Cheetahs at Super Rugby. Western Province in the Curry Cup and and the Stormers in Supergroup. He had a very significant head coach experience as well as being a technical advisor to the Springboks. But it was really that he'd been a head coach. And then Van Graan took over from him, having never been a head coach before, assistant coach in a number of places. But I think that my feeling is that they do they they weren't exactly in a, in a buyer's market when it came to uh, looking for their next head coach after Van Graan. They wanted to rehire Van Graan. Uh, I don't think Roundtree is a it's a bad hire by any means, but my feeling is that there is always going to be learning on the job when, you are, when, you, when, you're, when you're taking over a new job title.
0: I, I also think that if you, you know, the, there was talk about the big players, and I'm going to be very selective about the area that I concentrate on, but Lonsdale started at six for the Dragons, and Rain, Wainwright came on, on after bench, an yeah. hour. To, to start for him. Basham started at seven, Mariarty started at eight. In the World Cup semi-final, Wainwright, Tipperick and Mariarty was the starting back mm. row for Wales against South Africa in a match they lost by three points. Ian, you were at that match. Your opinion? Don't remind me. <laughs> <laughs> and... I, I think there's there's often been this kind of monster exceptionalism that... Monster are somehow different than everywhere else. And, you know, you can point to a number of big games where perhaps it serves as evidence that it's true, but it can't be true every single week, week in, week out. And, like, if, if the Dragons have a back row of all internationals, like finish the last 20 minutes with all internationals, two of whom started in a World Cup semi-final, mm-hmm. like, you're up against it. Yeah, like that, that, and you're playing away, like that. That that's a tough game. So, and Will Rowlands in the second row, who was very close,
2: in my opinion, having uh, I went into that thinking like Will Rowlands, uh, more or less a journeyman for Wales, a thirty-year-old journeyman throughout the Six Nations, and then uh, I came out of that thinking like, was he Wales' best player of the entire Six Nations? He was a great addition for them. Like their pack has, in my opinion, that's one of the best uh, Dragons teams I've ever seen.
0: So it leaves, like, it it leaves, it leaves Munster bottom. And I think it leaves Munster in, like, I don't think they can roll back on the coaches that they have. I think, but, like, I think structurally there's, there's a few issues there, like, from who's in charge of them at the, at the CEO, like, how much of a rugby guy, how do they look at their recruitment? Um, And I don't think we're tapping into anything. You know, a few of these things have been talked about beforehand um, and there's been better under-20s, you know, better under-20s from Munster in the Irish under-20s, but like those guys have to come through mm-hmm. and they have to be given the opportunity to come through and like even in recent seasons, you look at Van Graan and you got like, pretty Van Graan's greatest contribution was that he had into Springboks. He could get Damien Dialende and Snyman, G Snyman to come to Munster. And Snyman obviously had terrible luck with injuries, but Damien D'Alende was available for pretty much every mm. match. And Damien D'Alende is a guy who is good enough, uh, classy enough, like in enough form and big enough that he has a positive impact in pretty much every single game that he plays. Like he's, he's not going to play to his like World Cup final ability in every single match, but he's got to be so many leagues ahead of Diane Goggin when he's not playing well that... Like he's, he's he's impossible for Munster to replace. Mm-hmm. So, but again, like that that's that's not systemic. Like that's that's the cherry on top of the cake. And uh, I just like there's just so many chickens coming home to roost at the moment.
2: Yeah, that's true. One of the things which I should have mentioned before when I was talking about the the difficulty of experienced players getting up for that game was Munster were I felt they did have an additional handicap in that because their game was on Sunday, the last game of the weekend, a number of their players who were selected yeah. for Emerging Ireland were prohibited from playing in that one. Big time. Now, that would have be been a game where, for example, Tom or Her and Jack Crowley, who who don't often Hodnes. start. Hodnett, yeah, would have... They would have been exactly the players you want in a game like that, players who would be up for that game, mm. players who, haven't, who aren't thinking about, um, basically, like, I'm two caps away or five caps or 10 caps away from, you know, getting to a World Cup. But this is what I need to do and keep fit. And this is only the start of my season. My season is going to run basically all the way through for 12 months till hopefully we have a very successful World Cup, which is how the internationals must be thinking. Because if if you're of the naive opinion that uh, to play against the fucking Dragons for Munster in September is the limit or Keith Earls takes every game as it comes... You have to. You couldn't survive in professional rugby by being psyched up for a game against the Dragons as a thirty-five-year-old. I'm not suggesting her is anything less than professional, but there's a natural rhythm to like what's important, what's not important, the hierarchy of it, <coughs> you know. And I just think that that is a, a that's that to me is was one of the things that stood out.
1: I think um, to make a comparison with another sport is like. You can, I think there's a certain element of, like, teams in the Premier League soccer at the moment being, like, if they're not really, you know, if they're not essentially Man City or something, like, you know, if a couple of teams have a point to prove, a lot of players are going, like, season really starts in January or season starts on, on <coughs> quote, unquote, Boxing Day because it's the World Cup on in eight weeks. Mm. And, like, either I'm going or I'm not going. I'm either having, like, six weeks off or I'm going to the biggest, it's the most important thing in the season. Like I can certainly imagine, in Virgil van Dyke's head, he's just gone like, again, not that he's not a professional, but he's sort of gone, you know, after everything last year, success and disappointment, and he missed the Euros with his long-term knee injury. He's gone. This is the only big tournament I'm ever going to play at, probably, at, or certainly, at, at, you know, near my peak. Yeah. And he's going like, he, people are saying he looks like because so I'm like, yeah, the World Cup's more important to him. Understandably. Also, and, people
2: are people. Yeah. Like and people so, have ups and downs in their in their life. Some days you're good at work, other days you're not so good, and it's nothing to do with oh that's because I was hung over that day. It's just like that's sometimes just how it happens.
1: Uh, we were making reference to another um, enjoyable podcast, the Football Cliches Podcast, and the uh, uh, d- they'll be fine, they'll be fine they'll about be fine. which always gets said about Wolves for some reason, um, or Southampton maybe. Uh, they'll be fine, and there's this is sort of um, they'll be fine. Uh, thought process being yeah. parted about Munster. Debbie fine, Munster, would you worry about Connacht? <laughs> but, see, they can't go anywhere. That's the thing. So it's like, if Connacht have a terrible season, like, they can always sort of go, all right, maybe we need a new coach, or maybe we need a slightly, they're always going to be the underdogs uh, out of the Irish ones. And like, they can always go, we won the league six years ago. Like, they can always just look back on that and Yeah, go, that was the song, to win just once. It wasn't to win just twice. And then, With Munster, I mean, it it might take... What's the difference between a season... I'll tell you what the difference is. A season where they have to go away to the Bulls in the first round of the playoffs and get done after finishing, whatever, eighth or seventh in the... Yeah. And a season where they do another heroic semifinal thing, but we're really nowhere close to winning something. And the end of the season, they have Kendall and they have um, all these lads who are the next generation established as their... They're front liners. Like a season, you know, when you say transitional season, like there's going to be loads of pain involved in that. Like the transition is difficult. It's not like you're covering, you, a, you're, you're covering a lot of ground. You here. can't, uh, Brendan Rogers quote, yeah, you, you f- fix the plane, trying to fix the plane while you're flying it. Like there's going to be ends.
2: Yeah. You're covering a lot of ground. So one thing which I think a slip, so there's no relegation, obviously. So Munster would be fine. Munster would be fine. But um, but what I'm seeing from the now it's it's a two game sample size, which is easy enough to leap to a conclusion of is there Ulster are certainly pulling away from Munster in terms of that there was that very noticeable uh, win and notable rather win at the end of last season in the quarter final of the URC win, Um, and that was taken by a lot of newspapers in uh, in the Irish. Sort of rugby world is like, look how far monster have fallen, and very little, very really little about like Ulster are. Because Ulster's th- in a different country. Yeah, <laughs> like, <laughs> with a failing currency, they're pulling, <laughs> but they're pulling away. They're opening up a difference. So there's in one year in the in the one year, Ulster got to the the URC final against Leinster, and the, another year it was Monster. In you know one year after the other, but it looks like Ulster are now. Definitely, the uh, you know m- closer I would say to to Leinster than they are to Munster in terms of being second.
0: Yeah, I I'd, I'd agree with that.
1: I think I would have thought that was clearly established at the end of last season. Ulster were like a second away from being in the final, like and I, beating the Stormers who won it in the end. It's, uh, it's, it should be clearly
0: yeah.
2: established. People should rec- Yeah, rec- that should be more recognized in in how people are to, are discussing it. Uh, I, I'm not sure it is. I don't think it is. For I, a, a big
1: part of it, I would say, is possibly also the fact that they still don't have an awful lot of representation on the international the side. Oh, sorry, in the international side. Um, because, well, Munster yeah. still have a few extremely big characters who are still making huge contributions O'Mahony, uh, Earls, and Murray, that you said. And then obviously, Tyke Byrne converted Munster Man. Uh, adopted. Adopted Munster Man. Um, you know, <laughs> with like the most outrageous contribution probably during the summer. Um so that I mean that gives the the, the national side a much more um, distinct uh, kind of you know Munster personality in it then mm. there is more of that than there is of the Ulster personality in it. But at the same time, they've definitely outstripped them. They outstripped their, you know
0: throughout last season I would have said it was mm. set. It's but it's it's difficult to know what's changed. And what I mean by that is like the fact that Munster lost to dragons away is, is maybe it's hailed as more of a watershed moment than it actually is. Like Munster still have decent young players. Mm. They still have an issue with the fact that they didn't produce really any players of sort of consequence during like a five or six year fallow period. They, Still have issues that they're, they're struggling with identity for want of a better description, and maybe not in the fan way. What I mean is that Razzie was a very good coach for them to get, mm-hmm. like, he, he's a world cup winning coach, he wasn't at the time, but he, he was a guy in the up and he was a guy who. Like has, has like a really big personality has, has really strong opinions, but like he wasn't untested. He was a guy with a lot of um, uh, credibility and sort of you know coaching background when he arrived at Munster. But then they doubled down in the South African thing with Van gran and that <clears throat> like, like it, it didn't make sense to me. you know, like Mun- Munster, like they don't have a physical profile like that. And like every other Irish team has gone down the Kiwi route, mm-hmm. and they've like Connacht being the most obvious one, winning with their 2 like playing an extremely un Irish, like Kiwi brand of rugby with Pat Lam in charge. But on every other coaching panel, like there's been a Kiwi somewhere. Like, what does that mean? Every other coaching panel, like but like the, there's always a Kiwi mm-hmm. knocking about in Irish rugby. Like there's Dan Soper is up there,
2: and Jared Payne before, and Jared Payne before, Andrew before.
0: Goodman now. In- Goodman is in, is in, um, is in Leinster. Um, yeah, Connacht don't have one at the moment. Connick don't have one at the moment, but like even Keane was there and like wasn't good. But do you know what I mean? Like there's, there's just, and like that emphasis on skills, that emphasis on catch pass, that. Um, awareness that you're not going to have the biggest guys running fitness that running fitness like all, all of that and when you see like even matches that Monster won last year like I remember watching Munster play the Stormers at the near the beginning of the oh, season yeah. and the Stormers First half, blew them away. all the rugby and you're going, like the Stormers are brilliant and then they just got blown off the park and Monster scored a number of tries from about five yards out and you're there thinking this tells me nothing. Like this. is this is a bad result for Munster because it's papering over so many cracks that they have, that you can kind of convince yourself it's okay. So then when I say like I don't really like the only thing that's changed is the results. Like the only like they're not eking out like wins against the Dragons, but like that that wouldn't change anything. Like, They still actually have better young players than they've had for a decade. Yeah. Um. They still have a very. Uh, enviable identity in no, terms but of their like, in terms of their fans like yeah. they're, they're still they're still an attractive big club they just need to like but the the approach to rugby they need to get their heads around and uh, like i think this probably is the low now the, the question is sorry the the fact that it's the low it doesn't mean they're going to bounce off and immediately yeah there could could be the, they, could be, recession. they could be down here for quite a while yeah. you know and We've been writing about Munster for the best part of a decade saying that they're in transition, in transition. They're still in transition.
2: Well, they're going to... No, they're going to go into transition again. If you look at their senior players who are Irish internationals at the moment... Yes. It's Peter O'Mahony, who's 33 now. Keith Earls is 34 and turns 35 later. Uh, Maybe this month, maybe next month. Soon, anyway. Coin will turn 34. Um... Uh, and Connor Murray is thirty three. Uh, like I have this figure in my head, which is not entirely, it's not nothing's foolproof in rugby, but it seems to bear out. It's a funny age, but like when players get to thirty four, typically, like that should be sort of the end of your career. Uh, anything you can get after thirty four years old is a bonus. So you've got it. These are their most cap players in the squad by quite a distance. You have Todd Byrne there about thirty odd caps. Byrne, Zebo and Conway all have thirty, between 30 35 caps. But like Connor Murray, Keith he, has ninety-eight caps or ninety-nine caps or something. Connor has about ninety, Peter Manny's about eighty-five. Like they are fucking super capped. And Killer has about fifty caps at this stage, surprisingly. Um not that he's a bad player, but it's just like they've built up over time. You know, and Kidney gave him his debut a decade ago. Mm. Um But you take those guys out, and as you said, this fallow period begins begins sort of now the, the players that they've lost thus far from are, have been like some slightly more fringe guys because Munster managed to make John Ryan a fringe player by never picking him or very rarely picking him ahead of Stephen Archer who is who I think might have won his 250th cap or is about to win his 250th cap for Munster um, and has just uh, like I'm not going to go on about that but the other players they've lost to who like Tommy O'Donnell, Billy Holland, super club servants. Um, and then James Cronin, who they let go now. They mishandled it. I understand that they wanted to hire him back when they thought he was going to go to Connacht. He's now playing for Leicester after having spent a uh, year with, with beer rates. So they've lost guys who've been around the fringes of that. They haven't lost anybody central to their... Essentially, some of their players who have been British and Irish Lions or have been long-term Six Nations players for Ireland. Um, once those guys go they have this gap of players um, who are very few Munster players amongst them players born sort of 1992 to 1996 very few players in the Munster squad Munster born players from that age group which is a big wide gap those guys who will still be there like Ty Byrne and Andrew Conway um, who are both from Leinster and are current internationals like are they is that going to be the face of Munster two lads from Leinster um, Jan Klein I would also say we're only going to mention this in brief but also Chris Farrell would have been another one who is uh, you know a, a reasonably in and around uh, Irish squads on a reasonable basis again from Ulster like that is going to be are they and that's who you're getting in as the new the next leaders Niall Scannell who is now back on the fringes of the Irish squad having not been involved for two or three years and Jack O'Donoghue who is a great season last year, but it is like he's not in Irish squads, you know. And, and people can complain about how unfair that is. Like, the Irish back row is full of talent.
1: We didn't go ahead of Key and Prendergast, for example, on that tour. Yeah,
2: it's a good point, you know. Um, and he did play very well last season, he was their player this season and deserved it. But like, this is that's they're the guys who are going to have to replace uh, lads who've been the best scrum half Ireland has ever seen. In Conor Murray, uh, like a uh, three-time Lions tourist. Yeah. Peter O'Mahony, a Lions captain, a guy who is playing, in my opinion, like world-class rugby this summer. Keith Earls, who is Ireland's second top try scorer of all time. Like that's who you're going to get. You know, the next the next bunch of lads in here, that, that's going to be Munster in transition again, just like it was in, 2011, 2012, 2013, 2014, 2015. And because you cannot win... Listen, you won't have heard this before. You cannot win anything with children.
1: So, you know, you can can,
2: can put in Kendalyn. You're not going to win... You're not going to win the league with bunches of lads at 22, 23, 24 years old. You need... Like rugby is won by teams of a good hardened pro team, a mixture of ages and all that. A mixture of ages, but generally generally tilted more towards uh, the prime. So you know, twenty five through to thirty, and more more older guys than younger guys. Mm. More in the more in the thirty one to thirty sorry thirty to 34, 25 to twenty nine.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, that whole, when you say teams in transition thing, it, it's a bit of, uh, it's a very useful phrase because it's so vague that it can mean anything. I would kind of argue that Van Gran was them not being in transition. It was him being an expert. No, an no, expert, uh, I agree. Uh, <clears throat> not an expert. Um, he uh, Someone who was consistently, to use your metaphor, papering over the cracks, and he kind of kept them in the same place for a long time, and then <clears throat> that was the problem. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, the, he wasn't addressing the systemic issues or the issues in the foundation. He was keeping the building up by papering over those cracks with those metaphors. <laughs> um, so they weren't in transition for a long time. They're staring like, well, they're having bad results now, <clears throat> but they're staring down, like you said, an actual transition when they when they're losing this like that those guys who I'd said were like the very big Munster identity in the national team, in the international team, uh, they're going to come to the end of their career. And yeah, who's going to be the face of Munster rugby?
2: Well, that's why, that's why I was asking you about identity. I find that we were, we are talking in vague terms, discussing concepts. I'm always a big fan of, if you give an answer, abstract, give an example. So like, the identity of monster is exemplified in my mind by Peter O'Neill and, and by Keith Earls, not so much by Conor Murray. I don't, I don't particularly think Conor Murray is Mr. Monster, you know. I think Keith Earls and Peter O'Mahony are, and it, it's not because one of them is from Limerick and one of them is from Cork, and and they both have certain, they sort of, they sort of look alike facially, you know. Um, but it's, it's a, that to me is if you are trying to choose players who identify them. And for example, if it was Leinster, I would pick Ringrose. That's who who for me is like Leinster is very uh, Ringrose is is a ident or is a, a a signifier for Leinster more so than for example, um, Tyke.
0: Yeah. Um, Pretty Ringrose and Josh Vanderfleer. Oh yeah. are the, or the two? Believe- believe it didn't say Josh yeah um so so
2: that's part of identity and then there's this identity of like how you play what is your identity in how you play what do and that's not as as simple as what do we do in different parts of the pitch that's a huge part of it but it's also like how do how do the fans react when you do things like Leinster fans go wild when we do fuck lens technique Loops, Le- <laughs> loops. <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Just continually looping Imagine the yes will go wild But you know There's, there's certain things which, which people identify And they get a particular kick out of That is part of an identity Like Kicking the ball off the pitch And mauling over from the set piece The Frankie Sheehan Donnacoke Alan Quillen A more cautious brand of rugby You know Oh he didn't need to give that offload which is, you know, that's something that you will often hear monster commentators say. Not like, oh, that didn't come off. It's like, oh, we didn't need to give that. It's a cautious monster club-based way of playing. That's part of an identity. And then the other identity is the identity that the coach and the team make for themselves. Like, you know, it, it can attract an awful lot of derision, like Paul Gustard's Wolfpack. But, you know, the Saracens players believed in that. Or when they, when I say believe in it, they didn't think they were wolves, but they they said to them, This is something that we identify Ask with. My dad. <laughs> yeah, this is this is a this is a rallying call for us. And monsters could be uh like we're the team that turns you over, or uh as um another win for the bad guys, that three Red Kings used to say. Yeah. Mm. You know, those are parts of an identity. So identity is is more than one thing, it's a bunch of elements that feed in to what the team feels about itself and what the supporters feel about the team. So there's other th- like for example with Leinster there's some people who are stressing that um, that uh, you know that uh, Leinster are sort of happy that the the league is tougher now because it's a bigger test for us and they're going that might and maybe that's what people do feel. For me, like all I wanted to see, and I'm not, uh, like I would be have you know certain moments of complete sentimentality about rugby, but like I'm mostly interested in Leinster winning trophies. I want us to see us winning trophies now, but I don't think that's the be all and end all. I thought that Leo Cullen made some very good comments, which uh, no, normally he speaks in really he doesn't give give the press anything to work, but he talked about success and what does that mean, and. You know, getting, like getting to a final is better than getting to a semi-final. Getting to a semi-final better than getting... Like, obviously you want to win it, but Leicester being judged by not winning the European Cup every year. As, or, or, sorry, not winning the European Cup in any year. When you lose the European Cup in the last minute, that's a failure. You're going, that is the most rarefied error. It's almost impossible to be successful under those guidelines. There are other elements of success, such as getting a lot of players selected for Ireland, playing great rugby, scoring a lot of tries, winning almost all your games. You know, so how you identify those things and how you can give, how they can become more meaningful than abstract phrases like transition or or identity is important to me. Uh, I that's a that's a hobby horse I've just climbed on there, a hobby shetland pony. Um, but I think it's so for for Munster, their identity is a lot of their identity comes from. Like the, the Munster club identity of what it is, that's strong. Like the fans, that it's it's the, uh, a local team for local people, so to speak, in terms of they, they do get a lot of good support. There's a lot of Munster fans out there. They follow their team very passionately. What the team is, the team has got, undergone so many changes of head coach from, McGann was there for a long time, but Penny Foley, Razzy Erasmus, Van Graan was there for a long time, but uh,
0: for, to me... Wasn't the right guy. Wasn't the right guy. And Bath, and I wanted to get to this before, I forget. a Bath are 0-3, second from the bottom on points difference, or maybe they've got a bonus point, with Newcastle, Worcester are ahead of Bath.
2: Yeah. Worcester are mid-table. And, and, and now they're, I, I believe, precluded from playing the rest of their games this season. I think they're, they're banned from... I think that they're from bottom, but they're still ahead of Bath.
1: I want to talk about that whole idea of playing, the playing identity as opposed to like a club cultural identity. I said this when I was uh, uh, in a position to lay into some United fans at some stage in L- the last season. And uh, 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 Gary Neville has this sort of thing about where he didn't want Conte to be hard for Manchester United despite his abundance of, you know... Classy manager, lots of success because he he would play three five two. He wouldn't be, wouldn't play the United way. And I was saying like Gary Neville's a fucking terrible opinion about pretty much everything. You ask him those mouth, he'll say something fucking stupid. But he's quite good in politics actually. <laughs> but he was he was talking about you know it's not the United way, and I was like that's absolute nonsense. The United way is winning. That's the you can tell yourself it's about wingers and putting crosses in and playing two strikers. The United Way is winning and Ferguson is like the complete embodiment of that. It was like, he was so driven by winning. He made the players so driven. He got all, like you know, they famously struggled in Europe so they he got in all these different coaches and they played 4-5-1 or they played a 4-3-3 three, three striker assist and they had doing a lot of the coaching, you know, patterns and all that sort of stuff for them. And it's like, United way is winning you can make up the rest of the, the songs and all the stuff about running down the wing Liverpool were the same oh, what's the Liverpool way of playing pass and move pass and move that was the Liverpool group and then under Hullier it was like two banks of four one lad it was a bit of skill and one lad running around up front and hitting people on sitting deep and hitting people on the break like to simplify it and it's like if you win people are like Hullier's a great manager and it's the same with like uh, Klopp it's like, what's is, is you know? It's not pass and move. It's not it's gag and pressing. And everyone's like, well, that's yeah, you know, heavy metal football. That's yeah, that's the thing. Is like if it wins, people will tell you yeah. it's the best thing in the world. Like, so, so like everyone should be adaptable, but we sure, certainly shouldn't be married to one kind of thing. And I think I think in Munster, there's a kind of they've so they think so f- fondly of the t- period when they won the two Heineken Cups, where they established the contemporary monster culture um and that was so boot-biting bollock that they feel like it's a bit alien that they'd be doing something and find the, the fancy way that leinster do or something like that
2: yeah i saw i i agree with you there was so, really fucking abstract bollocks there sorry <laughs> no no i certainly like i was i was sort of i i uh i, I thought the same thing when uh, i saw alex kendall and uh, like grabbing players by the collar and you're going to, he never did that for the Irish under twenties, like, and he doesn't look like that sort of player. He looks more like a David Wallace type of player, like all talent. You're going, like, this this idea of like, it's all about dog. You're going, You have to be like the competitive edge is the competitive edge. If you're a competitor, you're a competitor. It's, it doesn't have that much to do with, with grabbing lads by the collar. Um, and so, and I know I, I agree with you. Like, I'll tell you something else which which only occasionally comes to mind. in Checkers last season, 2009-10. I think Leinster scored something like 24 tries in 21 league matches. Like, we played fucking ugly rugby. But you know, we mostly, mostly won. And, and everyone thought like, Check Czech, when Checker left, like, it was, going, what a great job Checker did. And you're going, Jesus, like we were, we played some ugly rugby that season. but got a lot of wins. Like winning, winning absolves you of a lot of And he of was visions. terrible
0: at picking young fellas. He would picked like, Eight of them at the same time in a match, yeah, in, a game. <laughs> yeah. in an away match, and he wouldn't pick anybody else. And then, like near towards the end of the season, he'd pick another like six, and they'd lose that, and yeah. that'd be it.
2: And he'd pick them with the worst of
0: the old fellas or the oldest of yeah. the old fellas. And he had like five away guys, and you know, like three World Cup winners or something like that of his of his of his five overseas players. So, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it. It worked. He, he made a breakthrough and he had brighter Driscoll. <laughs> the first season he had Rocky Elson. Yeah. So... An unbelievable backline back But then. like it, it, it worked. It worked for him. Um, Leinster needed it. So, yeah. I, it's... Um, Final word on Munster then? I think they have to stick with where they're at. What does that mean? I think they have to stick with Roundtree. Have 100%. to stick with Leamy. Have to stick with Prendergast. Have to go with that. 100%. With that coaching ticket and I I completely agree with you about the emerging Ireland guys. Like, I mean, I like, for all he been injured for, those for this tour is a big opening door for Jack
2: Crowley. There's only two out halves going. There's Jack Crowley and, and Jake Flannery. And like in my eyes, that's not even a competition. Uh, I don't mean to uh, disrespect Jake Farnley, but I don't want to speak it like it's something I don't believe. Like, I think Jack Crowley is way better than him. Oh, he's miles better than him. Yeah. Uh, so, a huge opening door for Jack Crowley. And I hope hope he plays really well. He's, a, he's such a talented player.
0: So, it'll be... I think it's I think it's a neat segue. Like, I mean, talk about Frawley there, because we were at the, the Leinster match, and... I made a comment one particular instance where Frawley went in to resource a rook. I said to you, ah, you shouldn't be doing that. Like it's that's that's nice, honourable sort of, you know, stuff that no one's too big. But if you're like if you're the out half and at the bottom of a rook, you can't be running the game. Yeah. And I, I don't think I'm really conflicted here because a few years ago, I thought Frawley was going to be the answer. But Leinster looked better when Ross Byrne played 10. Um, And Byrne looked a better out-half than Frawley. Now, Frawley is a more capable athlete and maybe has a higher seat. But the unfortunate thing is that's about three seasons ago as an out-half. And Leinster made their decision because Ross is a better out-half than Frawley. So, like, Frawley is... I don't know, how do you put it? Like he's probably a better rugby player. He's a better athlete than Ross is. Like he's bigger, stronger. He's faster. Faster, faster you know, but in like just instinctively as an out half, don't be in rooks. Don't be taking contact. Like drag the game, make the game you make the game happen. Mm. Like you control everybody else. You don't get tackled. You don't you yeah. don't you don't get dragged into every single contact. So I I I oh, it pains me to say it because I I love for Frawley to... But, like, out-half's too hard. Like, I, I don't think you can have a season where you're playing in form. Form's not going to be enough. Like, you need you need to be at that quality of thought where... Like, look... Look at the NFL and quarterback and look at the absolute freak shows that they have playing in that position, like the athletic phenomenons. And Tim Tebow's the most obvious one. And yeah. you know, like, it, it's not enough. Yeah, good point. It, it doesn't cut it. Good point. You know, like, it just... Lamar is
2: lighting it up. E- don't even, fairness.
0: He's a big yeah. But like... There's been, there's been so many of these guys who are just... Or G3, like quite another in, one. Quite incredible athletes. Yeah. Um, who played like that position all the way through. And it's Tommy. Yeah. Tommy keeps on winning. And you just go... That's because he's absolutely brilliant. And like... Bresas and Aaron Rodgers. Like, these guys are incredible, and they can only get one. Like, I mean, Eli. Eli managed to get two of them. Um, it's it's just... The thinking, this
2: is what you're really... Like, the, the familiarity with the position and the expertise in that particular position.
0: And the athletic ability to play it. But... That it's... Uh, like it's it's really really demanding, and it's you're so central to everything that like there isn't the room like oddly enough there isn't the the room for the individual heroics the individual heroics come at the end of the season when you've won it. yeah, and i think this this cuts in with your like you know the the, the football thing like it it doesn't matter like like it, it doesn't matter how you do it It just matters that you win like that that's the quarterbacks job, mm. and i think that that i think that's it as an out half as well yeah. that like talked a little bit. During the summertime, about New Zealand and about like, is is, is Bowden the problem? And very difficult to say because I don't really believe it. Like, I think Bowden Bard is an absolutely magnificent rugby player. But you look at how disorganized New Zealand are playing against us when they don't have Joe Schmidt coaching them and they've got Bowden playing at 10, and you think to yourself, Jesus, like, they'd be miles better if they had Johnny yeah. Sexton. I, so what they've done is they've picked Richie Moanga for the last, what, four or five tests, and they drop Bodie. So you hit her at this situation where you watch the all-black bench with, like, Bodie and Brodie Retallick on it, and you think to yourself, well, like, what a bench. Well, to be fair, Bodenbar... He was coming back from injury. Yeah. He, was, he was yeah. coming back from injury. But they found a way to get him into the team starting and pick Scott. And you go, Jesus, like, look at that. Jordy. Jordy, Jordy Bradley, sorry, yeah. Jordy. Who I could confuse for Scott. And and you sort of think, but he's about six foot five. Yeah. Yeah. And you sort of think to yourself, Jesus, this looks kind of obvious now. We just pick like an enormous bloke at first centre. Pick another enormous bloke at at second five. We get another enormous bloke and that all black backline has taken... I think it has taken shape. It's finished. That's I, that's going to be the back. I would, that I, work I up. would rather Sebi Reese than Caleb Caleb Clark. But I see that you get big winger, small winger yeah. by picking Caleb Clark and, and Will Jordan. But other than that, like you get Bowden. You all you ask him to do is just play rugby. Like yeah. he doesn't have to run the team. Richie Moango will run the team. You've got two giants playing in the center, both of whom have more to the game than just yeah. being big. One of whom so, has
2: insane pace. You've got you got best the best winger like the best like that. Will Jordan try? Was with the ball in two hands, cutting around Jordan Pattaya. She's going. That was a that was a thing of beauty. That was beautiful rugby, as beautiful a try as I've seen. You're going. That is such a good rugby, and uh, and that that backline has got all their most talented players. And all of a sudden, you're looking at the All Blacks and going, "Wow, like that is potentially uh, they're the they're the." potentially you know best team in the world again
1: well they found uh, I think Ethan DeGroote and the hooker his name oh. Samson yeah the two of them I still think they don't have the super depth in the front row but yeah, they, found so this, they found the two of them when, uh, what went from being a position of weakness has gone back to certainly a position where they're oh, yeah with the yeah. you
0: know the top, other top teams so, so so it's more than that but I unfortunately so look for all these inter- unfortunately I can't see Frawley's rugby fit in the narrative that he's going to be the successor so Ireland actually needs Jack Crowley or Flannery to make more of a push and I, I think like Ireland can try to make a case and try to build it around Frawley but just his behaviours are too deeply ingrained for him to be coming out half now uh, in terms of like turning narrative on its head, we were laughing and saying, Geez, Leinster should play Josh Vanderfleer on the wing because it means they could start Will Connors at seven. Like, Will Con- and 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 like just play Vander Fleer in the Rover role. Seeing yes. as, like, Leinster, they have Leinster, <laughs> they haven't picked up their Phrygian medical joker and they're still laboring with Dave Carney on the wing. And like, God, love him. Dave keeps on giving game, but like, yeah. he ain't getting any younger. That doesn't work for you. On He's 33 now. Like, and uh, like, we think how old we are, Will, Will Connors. <laughs> And you're talking, you're talking about the Munster identity. Will Connors doing a PhD in UCD and like playing professional rugby for Leinster, which is, I think, the most Leinster thing in it. Now he's doing a PhD in tackling, which I think is absolutely hilarious because you go like, who's marking? Him? Like, is, is Dan Lydia being brought up? <laughs> <laughs> review, review as Vila, or, like, yeah. you know, yeah, it's Vera. Yeah. And, uh, I can't remember what was it, Vila, Vera, Viva, Viva, yeah. you're Viva, yeah. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. Examining external, <laughs> examining professor,
2: and Lydia's is a tutor. Yeah, like
0: Serge, Serge Betson, the woman who taught the lady who taught Serge Betson had a tackle, like, you know, she's, the, <laughs> she's a Nobel Prize in tackling. Yeah. yeah, so like he, it was great to see he, him around. He yeah. gave an in, an incredible display of defensive prowess. Like it, it was it was, it was wonderful to see, it was game shattering because uh, like, again, what I said to you during the match, there's matches where like, sometimes the ball doesn't come your way and, but there's always tackling. Mm. There's always tackling. (laughs) Like if, if you go looking for them, you will find tackles and it's, it's something that personally speaking, I kind of rail against when I hear about like defensive systems being talked about too much because I go, whoa, 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 defensive systems are well and good but, making tackles is, is the difference. You know, and there's a little bit of mumbo-jumbo to, to the defensive systems. Not to say that, like, coaching the defense doesn't make a difference, but it doesn't make as much of a difference as Will Connors tackling me. Yeah. Like, what? Like, I mean, the, the pace that the guy is able to come off the line and still make a tackle, three or four yards. Like, they're three or four yards behind the defensive line and Will Connors is dropping. You got like, how hey, do you... Like you can't. How do you attack against that?
2: And he makes chase tackles, uh,
0: and he gets into double figures. And like he, it's not just like one or two like showcase tackles. It's invariably double figures. Invariably, he gets a few of them where they're behind the advantage line, and it's like it's just enormous. It's to settle is full of hits. (laughs) yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. but like I'm trying to like it's. I'm trying to think of like it's hard because like there there isn't as many big tackles in football like it's 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 not that sort of game but it's it's uh... someone picking up four and a half sacks in the game or something like that.
2: No, because that would be that's like that's those cases. Yeah, that's a huge game, but it is like somebody like Luke Keekly, who was a middle linebacker, who. Basically played in the Pro Bowl every time he was drafted early, and he played for the Panthers, Carolina Panthers. Basically made the Pro Bowl every year for nine years in a row, and then he retired. and He was, I think, thirty. Uh, he was a, he was worried about concussion effects. Uh, he was very real, all American in, in the sort of the good way, like the good American. But he looked like like he was uh, like looked like he could sell jeans, you know. But he was just so good, and he just made up these. Practically every year, he was either top or top three of, like, tackles. Now, middle linebacker is always going to have a lot of tackles. But that consistency and his technical ability as a tackler was just like, Jesus, this guy's a good tackler.
1: You're the running I, team of this season. What was, what's the baseball equivalent of that?
2: <laughs> so, the baseball equivalent will be on, on like, on, on offense would be, like, hitting doubles. So, or get, getting on base or hitting doubles. Let's say just getting on base a lot. He gets on base,
1: you know? Will Connors gets on base.
0: Yeah, but I'll, I'll give you another... Like, my analogy in football, because I think you can kind of labour the point of, like, putting in crunching tackles. My analogy in football of, like, what never goes out... Like, Luka Modric. And you go, here's a guy who always seems to be available to take up a pass. Never gives the ball he, away. And he never gives the ball away. And he's able to keep it. When he's under pressure, he just goes in a little circle off both feet and he's able to give it away. And you go, what? In football... That will never grow old. Yeah,
2: that's, that's the
0: that's the last thing. That's the last thing to go. And yeah. You go like his legs might go, and like he's he's not as fast as he was. He's incredibly fit. I mean, even even with that, like he gets it, sort of in between the center circle and the semi of that box, and he brings it up to the other end of the, the same part of the pitch on the other half, and he just never gives it away. And you go like that, like that just never stops giving. It's like if you if you can tackle. I, I see it as the same thing.
2: Yeah, but Modric, uh, it just struck me that I was listening to uh, I was listening to off the ball, I think, and they were talking about Ireland's inability to put their foot on the ball. And they just need somebody to put the foot. It's one of the things which gets so said in in football, and you're on like this is the most overused phrase in football. And you're on the ability to put the foot on the ball means that you have complete confidence, right? In that essentially a hundred times out of a hundred, when you are put under pressure by somebody who's coming close to you when you're receiving the ball, that you will be able to retain the ball and either beat that person or give the ball away with a reasonable pass that's not going to put somebody else under pressure. Putting your foot on the ball is about like, it's not just about like, oh, I'm going to slow things down. Football is paid at a fast pace. It's faster than it ever was before. So it's not, like, oh, I'm just going to slow things down. It's the ability not to give the ball away and to have complete control of the ball. It's the
1: ability to soak up pressure from... Onto you, yeah, keep the ball and relieve pressure everywhere else yeah. by keeping the ball and then playing like it to the space you've created by absorbing pressure. Yeah, it's the whole fucking thing about playing in midfield. It's yeah. everything to do with playing in midfield. It's about absorbing pressure and releasing it elsewhere. Like and this idea the ball. that
2: it's a mystical thing that you put the foot on the ball and suddenly this pass pops into your head. That's not what it's about. It's about, as you say, and having that complete composure and belief in your skills and correct belief in your skills that you have the skills to not be dispossessed. Sorry,
1: sidebar. sidebar. Um, I didn't see the Ulster game, but the interesting thing I saw that came out of it was uh, John Cooney's uh, simple messages to himself and his Anais Neen quote, which he uh, wrote down in his journal for the day. Um, tell me about that Ulster win. Love that game. Love that game. Even
2: at halftime, they interviewed Ferris, and Ferris is like so chortly and happy. The game was played in Blazing Sunshine in uh, Parky Scarlet. And it was just like the uh, Exeter game the following day. It was an end-of-season game. Like, people were flying around scoring tries in the, in the bright sunshine, uh, scoring and conceding tries. Um, like, we were, we were saying a little bit earlier, like, the league is much stronger this year. And it absolutely is. And it's not just because of the South African teams in there. Uh, the, 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 the decline of the English league both in terms of how much money they can offer to players and also I, t- I feel a more generalized decline I think with the, how they've shrunk their, their salaries is, is affecting um, it's the same th- thing yeah sorry that is the same thing uh, but really what I meant is more Welsh players are moving back to Welsh clubs Yeah. Uh, and their Welsh clubs are stronger and, and that game was exciting and I know, I know Cooney scored a hell of a lot of points. And Cooney, the hen thing, or any, uh, quote, was great. And, and uh, Cooney's all man is a journalist. Like, he's a well-read guy. Uh, it's... also um,
1: were, were a fantastic
2: watch. And, and good
1: value for their win in a cracking game. They're playing Leinster next. Uh, Up in Ravenhill. In Fortress Ravers. Um, is this a... Is the... Uh, Imaginary title belts on the line here. Are they well? Neither, neither <laughs> of them hold the belts. Oh, so. no. <laughs> no, the imaginary title belts of uh, oh, well, this psychically is, most important. Yeah, well, Irish this, province. This, this is
2: this is well. There is a there is a provincial shield which Leinster the holders of. So Ulster at the moment are closer to Leinster than they are to Munster. Like that's a that's a much bigger gap between uh, Ulster and 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 Munster than it is between Le- uh, Leinster and Ulster at the moment, which is like. Leinster are a champion team. They didn't win a trophy last season, but they've won fucking five in the last six years. So I'm really looking forward to that game. And that game, because both sides have been denuded of of their emerging players, is much more likely to be uh, like the, the Heineken Cup quarterfinal of a few years ago than it was like the last two games last season when you know Ulster knocked over Leinster twice. But essentially, they were knocking over... And once it was a completely second string Lancer side and the other time it was mostly a second string Lancer side with Tyke Furlong and then Robbie Henshaw but missing about 10 players Like, so this, this game is going to be fascinating
0: there's always one name I look for on the Ulster team sheet and it's Aaron Sexton and he started and he was upended and had to go off and he, he didn't come back on so I don't know if he's going to play this weekend but he's, he's so fast and he's and like, like Ulster have Balakoon and Stockdale so like yeah. you know d- do they need him but like I, I, I think like if if Ulster don't need him Leinster should, sign him. Him. Leinster Leinster should sign him Leinster should sign him anyway like, I mean I, I would go if there was one player in Ireland who you could pick and I would go we would pick somebody from Ulster's reserves yeah like let's see Leinster sign Aaron Sexton because it's a position of need for us you just do not get pace like that no
2: and it's also a position of need for us you know like we have we have something like six senior. We have six outside backs in the in our in our senior squad, and three of them are injured at the moment. Like James Lowe's injured. Uh, Tommy O'Brien. Tommy O'Brien injured, and Hugo Keenan's injured. So, like the the outside backs that we're picking at the moment are our three fit backs. So um, d- and Dave Kearney's going to retire next year, I presume. He's thirty three now. You know, so there's there's a. It's much easier for Aaron Sexton to get more games at Leinster because Ethan McElroy was played something like twenty four hundred minutes last year, and he's younger than uh, than Aaron Sexton. So he uh, Sexton has to get past Stockdale, Balakum, and Ethan McElroy to get meaningful game time in Ulster.
0: Yeah. Uh, so I always look always for him as well. always look for always him. look for his name, and
2: I look for Connor Nash playing for Hawthorne. <laughs> yeah <laughs> so do <of> i
0: <laughs> so i guess you know the the contrast with ulster and you go back to identity ulster went out and got a guy who had coached a lot he was assistant coach in Connacht. he was yeah. assistant coach in glasgow he was assistant coach in scotland so it was a bit of a gamble but he invested from the, the i remember uh
2: when he came in he he laid off a load of players do you remember that he uh,
0: he Vaguely, only that you mentioned it. Yeah, I already remember Four no. or
2: five years ago, like he laid off about five players. Um Chris Henry was one of them. He was like you know, and that was a guy who'd done a huge amount of service for Ulster, but it was like and it was it was obvious that Chris Henry was past his peak, but it was still like, oh, I'm sort of surprised at that. Uh, and he put a lot of time now Ulster ha- had produced good backs before he arrived. You know, they'd they'd always produce good backs in Oakwood forts um and now they're beginning to produce good forwards. I was thinking this morning like Tom Stewart, Tom O'Toole, both very young front rowers. Tom Stewart is twenty or twenty one. Tom O'Toole I think is twenty three. So Callum Reed is their Callum is there is their equivalently young loose head, and uh, we'll see how he does in the Emerging Tour. And that's really interesting. But then you have uh, Mcnabney. McCann is a choku now obviously from from Leicester, but playing for Ulster picked up by Ulster. McCann's so to gone on there. the immersion Ireland tour as yeah. a
0: consequence of the injury to Kendellin. Um, yeah, his choku yeah. was already picked. Yeah.
2: And and then the the 720s 20s captain last year.
0: Reuben Crothers. Reuben
2: Crothers. Like it, he might be another year coming but like
0: that's, they're getting now... Yeah, there's more Ulster guys who are going to pick. And it's funny, see, I, I look at the other direction um, and John Petrie is a guy who played pro rugby and played international rugby. And he's their chief exec. And yeah. he's he's been there for a while. And right now, like, I don't know if he predated McFarland or if he came in in tandem with them or if he came in just after. Just but after, the, I think. I think, I, I think just after. But... The fact is, like he's he's still there, and like I rugby chief execs don't tend to don't tend to turn over all that much. Um, but the fact that he's a rugby guy in there, I think, I think there's a number of contrasts. Like Ulster were a basket case when MacFarlane took them over, yeah, famously. not not long ago, famously. And I think when when you make the contrast with Munster and Ulster. Starting from MacFarlane's reign, I think it's stark. Now, Agreed. I also I also think that it's, it it suggests that like the way back from Munster is not that far away and is is fairly obvious, but um, it it it's pretty stark the difference between the two now yeah. compared to where they were only a few years ago. Because like Munster weren't top of the tree a few years ago. Like Leinster were top of the tree and Munster were number two. Mm-hmm. So Munster could have made progress towards Leinster and instead Ulster have made progress towards Leinster and Munster have fallen behind. Mm-hmm. So. I, I, think, I think Petrie's doing a really good job. Yeah. Uh,
2: on, on every count. I think his, his, when he speaks to the media, he's very convincing. He's very like Al Kellogg, actually, They're practically the same person, um, and he's he's convincing captain material, uh, as a as a CEO, I think he's really good, and it's um, yeah, it's, like I'm really looking forward to that game. I think that game, I can't call it like, because Ravenhill is a big advantage, you know, like that'll be that'll have that'll be sold out for that. That's eighteen thousand fans. They haven't named teams, though, have they? No. No, but I think the teams will be close to the teams that played. It. Played last weekend. Yeah. I think Sexton's going to come back in for Ireland, for Leinster, for Ireland Slip. Um, but I don't, I, I don't think any of the other... Like I think James Lowe was injured. Still, Hugo Keane is, is definitely Teague injured. How long going to come back. Don't know about Tyke. I haven't seen Tyke in the training. James for Ryan, like that. James Ryan pulled up with a hamstring, mild hamstring strain in in the, uh, the captain's run. captain's run or the warm up even for the. Uh, for the last game, so potentially could come back, but might be a week too soon. <laughs>
1: Leinster, so fond to say. Yeah, I would say I would make Ulster favourites at home. Definitely. I, yeah, and two I, wins against Leinster last year, regardless of the team they played. Yeah, no,
0: that's, that's there. That's totally valid. Um, I think those three guys come back for Leinster. Leinster win it, yeah, away or not? But for a season or not, that's
2: a cracking fixture.
0: I, I, I'm the.
1: To echo just the thing that we said last week about the sort of the compressed schedule and the emerging Ireland tour probably forcing more frontline players into the season definitely early, uh, it reminds me of like a time when, and I probably defended it at the time because I was yeah drinking the Kool Aid, but when there was a series of um, interpro matches around one Christmas, and like teams were just playing, they were just essentially chalking them off being like away from home they play a weakened team. Yeah. And a lot of people were criticising it and I was probably like, well, you know, bigger picture, Ireland, blah, 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 player welfare. You know, they're doing well in Europe. And uh, you have to say, whatever argument I was making then was a load of bollocks. I was I was, I was, guilty
2: of that, but it was also <laughs> just reflecting the real politic that people, the journalists, for example, I remember David Kelly used to give that a quote and there's nothing against him because it's a, it's a valid point, but like, the practical realities of it, like was, everyone knew if you were paying attention that these players weren't weren't going to get selected. If you were buying a ticket for that match, uh, and you expected Johnny Sexton to play, like you weren't paying attention. Mm. You know you'd know right to expect Johnny Sexton to play. It's not Johnny Sexton plus Leinster. It's not like Bruce Springsteen and the East Street It's or Marky Fall and Marky Smith rather than the fall. It's whoever Marky Smith can get to turn up, you know, because the rest of fall are training with, you know, Joe Schmidt.
1: Yeah. Um, Marky Fall. Marky Fall. Didn't expect a fall reference in this one. Uh, Yeah, so exciting weekend ahead. Let's just say
2: the URC, I've criticized it, you've criticized it, your environment will pay for it,
0: but it's turning out Okay and it's on RTE which I love and Emerging Ireland played a Greek was on, on lunchtime on Friday yeah. live streamed
1: on Irish rugby.ie I, I can't wait to see which commentator I hope they get sorry who do they get who do the have commentating on their live stream <laughs> Moggy, Moggy and Mick, Quinn. Mick yeah, Quinn Moggy and Mick Quinn doing the um, Emerging Irish commentary against the Greek was yeah J.R. <laughs> and Jim Ross or or, or, or Moggy
2: Mick and then Hugh Blodden doing the play by play